Morning, welcome to Southfield. Really good to have you here today. I have had the, the best adventure anybody could have this past week. Brian and Riley have been snowboarding in Colorado, and so we get to watch the grand puppy. And uh, I didn't, you know, my mom and my dad in particular didn't want a dog growing up. I always wanted a dog. I thought it'd be the best thing to have a dog. And so now we get this little uh, Griffey that'll come to our house for a week. And and I, I've, I've loved it. I mean, there, there is nothing like having somebody every day wake up and go, you are the best person in the world. I love you. I love you. And then you start to realize it's all about the food. You know, and uh, I thought you liked me. But anyway, so we've had, we've had a fantastic week until yesterday. Yesterday, the wheels came off the bus. I, I had to get something over here. And, you know, part of this whole thing is managing uh, where do we put him? What do we do? And when, when I have to leave the house, you know, last time, I get a call from Kim that, that she's cornered by Griffey and she doesn't know what to do. And so, so we've been trying to manage that piece a little bit better this time. So I brought him on along. And I'm thinking, all right, we're getting along. We're good friends. You're listening to me. This is working really well. And so um, we got to the church door and, I, and I, we're going to walk on in. I opened the van door and that dog saw a rabbit. And it went on a tear. Zoom! Around the back of the church. And I'm already imagining, how do I tell my son and daughter-in-law, congratulations, I lost your dog. He was eaten by a bear back in the wetland, you know? I'm just like, I'm back there screaming for him, Griffey, 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 and he's not coming out. Where is he? And oh, my word, what am I going to do? Finally, he comes trotting out. And I'll tell you what, it, it went from we're friends to dog I'm going to grind you up. I was so, so frustrated with that dog. For the rest of the night, we had kind of a tense relationship going. And uh, so this morning we woke up and I'm like, okay, we're back to friends, right? We're good? Yes. All right. So I know that we've got to come to church and what are we going to do with this animal and whatever. So give him his outside time. And he, you know, he wants to go to the door. He wants to go out. I'm like, of course you want to go out. So I strap him on up and then he's just kind of haunched. He's haunched. And I'm like, oh, you see something. Dennis is about to get his revenge. So I open the door. He bolts, boom, forgetting that he's on this line, right? And it's, and it's tied to my raised bed garden. And he's running, 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 boom. So he's definitely be visiting the chiropractor later today. And perhaps he is cured of his rabbit problem. But anyway, so what ended up happening as well is yesterday we learned that our, our time with our grand dog is going to be extended a little bit. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law and all the family arrived at Denver Airport yesterday to get on their Southwest flight. And they were told, congratulations, your Southwest flight is canceled. So then they said, well, let's go rent a car. Oh, we only rent cars that are going to come back to us. We don't do one way. So then they went and talked to Southwest. Oh, we found a little space on a flight. Come on, come on along. They're getting on the flight. No, we're canceling this one too. So we're just kind of getting this play-by-play -play throughout the evening of all this going on. And, uh, I, you know, so then they're told, well, here's the deal. Your flight will be Monday night at 630 yeah. Remember when Southwest Airlines used to exist? That's what we're going to be saying in about a year. Anyway, wow, it's just, it's brutal. So anyway, 
that will lead to the fact that uh, this evening, Revive will be taking a little break because your fearless leader is somewhere. I don't even know where. He's somewhere. So anyway, and, and probably much need of a break. So anyway, um, sorry about that. We've got a weekend update that went out to you, and it was fun to see y'all responding to the different pieces of this as it arrived for you this week. You know that we mentioned uh, last week that we're doing something a little different with our video. So if you're watching at 9 or 10.30 or a little bit later into Sunday, you're catching the whole service. And then if you're watching later in the week, you've got to hit the later button instead, and you're getting a little bit of an edited, edited version of that uh, instead of the, the full version. There were a bunch of other links for you to go check out this week. Um, the first announcement had nothing to do with the link. And that's just the fact that uh, we do, all of us, we have this, this sense of compassion, not just, you know, not just for refugees in Ukraine, but quite honestly, refugees all over the world. There are people all over the world that for one reason or another are being forced from the place that they live. And they're, being, they're, they're having to make that decision of, what do we do? Do we stay here in the trouble we're in or do we go somewhere else? And so for us, this, this crisis going on right now is really just representation of wanting to help people who are put in that spot of, of complete and total need. We had kind of a lighthearted moment yesterday. Kim is reflecting on, what would you do? What would you do if you had to, like, pack a backpack and leave? And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll set a bomb. You have 10 minutes. Grab whatever you want. I mean, that's about the way it feels, right? You have 10 minutes to figure out what are you taking with you and heading on out. So throughout April, we're collecting a, an offering that will be going um, to Samaritan's Purse. We love partnering with Samaritan's Purse for three reasons. More often than not in a crisis, they're the first ones on the ground. Their administrative costs are very, very low, and they are not ashamed to use the name of Jesus. They, they, they make very clear that this isn't just about being nice, this is about Jesus. So if you've been looking for a way to give, uh, you can give toward that uh, by, by simply, if you're doing online, give it to benevolence. Everything designated benevolence this month will go toward that. We have a box on the, black, uh, on the back wall, a black box. Anything you put in there in terms of a check that has the word Ukraine on it or benevolence on it, we'll make sure it goes to that offering. And any loose change or cash that's put in there this month will go to that as well. So throughout the month of April, we're going to be collecting that. I know a lot of you, you've had that burden. What can we do? And, and it's just one of, one of the simple ways that we can show and extend love. And I think it goes along with what we talked about last week of just being generous people, not holding on to everything we have, but helping people in their time of need. There's a really cool after-rooted opportunity. We've got two more weeks of doing our rooted workbook, and then we wrap up the workbook and continue with these, the rhythms that we've developed. And, and one of the pieces that, that's been suggested is that we do some, do some Bible memory work together. So you, if you read that announcement, we're going to be memorizing several verses. It involves having a little, one of those little bracelets on, and, and, and what they do, it's really cool. The first letter of every word in the verse is on the bracelet. So that helps you kind of get that memorized. But it's also on there. I promise you, if you have a bracelet on that just has alphabet soup on it, it doesn't have a word or a statement on it, someone's going to ask, what's that all about? And, and what does Peter say? Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And so you get the opportunity to have a conversation about that. So uh, you can go ahead and sign up for that. And then we talked last week about the serve squads that we have going, whether you're an adult or a student. 
Uh, we'd love you to get involved in some way with the serve that comes with Quest. So for some of you, you might be able to be here all week. For others, it may only be a day or a short time slot. For the adults, we're just asking, go ahead and, and, and register, and, and you'll be contacted about the potential opportunity. Ask more about when you're available and those sorts of things. And then for the students, we, we, we amped up the challenge a little bit in that they're not responding electronically. They're responding verbally. And so they'll, they'll get the privilege of coming, whether it's to the, to the welcome area or to, or to Jaron, and come, come to them and say, hey, I'd love to be involved in the student service squad. And that really, we just think that's a, that's a piece of making sure that we, that we step up, that, that we're able to have a conversation with somebody, connect with somebody. So we're asking you to go ahead and do that in that way. The last thing on there, I don't mean to read the whole thing to you, but anyway, the last thing on there is that Green Lake, uh, Green Lake registration is just a couple weeks from closing. April 15th, our registration will close out, so make sure you go ahead and get signed up for that. We already have a, a great sign-up of kids that have taken place, and uh, just want to make sure that you get your opportunity in there as well. So, that's that. This is not easy without a sidekick. I, I look forward to him being back next week. I've got, all, I've got a couple other great Griffey stories to tell next week that you'll love and whatever, but I'm going I'm to hold those out for now. So let's pray. Father in heaven, our hearts long to connect with you. You created us that way. You created us with a, with a big old hole in our hearts, a God-sized hole. And what's kind of amazing and sad at the same time is that we spend a portion of our life trying to figure out what will fill that hole. And, and boy, we just, we go through all kinds of different ways and puzzle pieces that we try fitting in there and they don't fit. And then somewhere along in our lives, a, a gracious person comes along that shares the truth about the whole shares the truth that that space is for God and that you can't earn God and you can't deserve God. You have to ask for God. You have to ask for God by way of a relationship with him through Jesus, through what he did on the cross, through his shed blood, we get the privilege of a relationship with God. Today as we talk about how to help other people understand how to fill that hole. I pray that you will move us with compassion. God, we're, we're not going to get down perfect wording that's going to get it right every time. But we can have a heart that loves people that are lost. We can have a heart that loves people that need to, they need to satisfy that longing. They need to satisfy that hole. Break our hearts. Break our hearts for people that need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how many of you have vivid memories of kindergarten? Really vivid memories. I'm not talking about you guys. That was like 10 minutes ago. I'm talking about the rest of you. <laughs> Decades ago, right? Decades ago, you were in this place called kindergarten. I have incredibly vivid memories of kindergarten. I went to Pinewood School in North Tonawanda. This, I was actually the last class of kindergartners to go to that school. It was an old school, old school. One of the original schools in North Tonawanda, it only had eight classrooms, 
Four on the first floor, four on the second floor. There was no gym. There was no cafeteria. It was kind of an old country schoolhouse. In fact, when they ripped it down, I grabbed a couple of the bricks. I still have them to this day. I loved going to that school. And I loved my kindergarten teacher. Her name was Mrs. Barkow. Barkow. You know, kind of like bar, the place that people go to drink. Cow, the thing that we eat. Mrs. Barkow. I love Mrs. Barkow. She was the best. I would love to think that Mrs. Barkow to this day has fantastic memories of me. She recalls me. She loves me. Oh, she can I doubt it, right? I really doubt it. I gave her some stories, no doubt, like the very first day of kindergarten when I decided that I didn't want to be there. And so I hid under the desk all afternoon long and cried. I didn't want to go to kindergarten. I loved my three hours of freedom. I loved having my afternoons. What in the world was this dictatorial government doing to me, making me leave my home? I didn't want that. I wanted to be home. And I caused Mrs. Barkow a lot of pain that very first day of school. Our relationship continued, and at some point she told all of us that we were going to have to lead the Pledge of Allegiance. Lead the Pledge of Allegiance. Are you kidding me, really? My day came to lead the Pledge of Allegiance, and I did not say a word. <laughs> I wasn't a conscientious objector or something like that. I just, I didn't want to lead other kids in saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And so Mrs. Barkow very gently took me over to a corner. I'm sure you can't do this in school these days or you'd be arrested. She took me over to a corner and she made me stand in the corner and she said, you're going to think about the next time you have to lead the Pledge of Allegiance. And I stood there for what felt like four or five days. <laughs> it came my time to lead the Pledge of Allegiance. And guess what? I led it with vigor. I led it like a patriotic American. I led it the way it was supposed to be led. Oh, it was fantastic. I love kindergarten. I love the fact that, that when part of our kindergarten supplies was this rug, the kind of rug that used to sit in front of the sink, this little woven rug. And, and we'd have this rug, and sometime during the day, Mrs. Barkow would say, go get your rug, and we'd lay down. We were only there for three hours. But we got a nap. I suspect this was Mrs. Barkow's favorite time of the day. She loved this time of the day. And then one of the things we did very early on, one of our first projects at school, we made a sit-upon. Did any of you make a sit-upon? So a sit-upon was the coolest thing. It was a piece of vinyl and a piece of vinyl. And you took some newspapers and you put them in the middle. And it had holes all the way around the side. And, and you looped yarn all the way around it. And when it came time for story time, you'd sit upon your sit-upon. What a creative name. It was amazing. Every kindergarten knew what a sit-upon was. You sit upon it. It was the best. I loved our first April Fool's, that national holiday, also known as Jenna Lakin's birthday. Not a joke, true statement. Anyway, first April Fool's in kindergarten. Mrs. Barkow decided to have some fun with her little skulls of mush. And so, here we are, and during the day, she's shutting the shades. None of us notice, we're playing, we're having fun. She's shutting the shades. And as the day goes on, she's talking about the weather. Wow, the weather's horrible outside. It's getting really bad. It's raining. Windy, hurricane force winds. Kids, I don't know how you're going to do it. You got to understand, we did not have buses. We walked our two miles to kindergarten. And so we got to walk home. We got to walk home. And she's talking about how bad it is outside. It's going to be horrible. My memory is so vivid. I remember walking down the hallway was like I was walking to my death. I walked down the four steps. I opened the door and it's gleaming sunshine outside. I'm like, Mrs. Barkow was wrong. 
How in the world did she get the weather so wrong? And we took a handful of steps together, and one of my friends says, oh, April Fool's. She was the best. She was the best teacher. She was so amazing. I love Mrs. Barkow. I love kindergarten. I also, I don't know about you, I loved show and tell. Show and tell was the best. You know, these kids, our family didn't go on vacation, so I didn't even know what a vacation was. And, and kids would come in, and they brought things from vacation. I'm like, what is vacation? Is that like a dog? I've never had one of those either. And so they'd bring these things, and they'd show them to us, and they'd tell them about it, tell us about them. And, you know, it, it would bring up all sorts of joy and envy, and all these, all these emotions were coming up as we got to do show and tell. Show and tell was the best. There was a book written a few years back. I don't remember the exact title, but you're familiar with it. Everything you need to know you learned in kindergarten. Everything you need to know about life you learned in kindergarten. I'm telling you what, a lot of the best life lessons were learned in kindergarten. And one of the best life lessons was show and tell. We do evangelism by way of show and tell. We learned it. you You can't say, I don't do evangelism. You know how to do show and tell. You know how to say, here it is. And let me tell you about it. We know how to do show and tell. Evangelism is an interesting word. People get a couple words mixed up sometimes, so let me clear them up. Evangelism and evangelical. They both kind of sound the same, and they have similar roots, but they're a little bit different. An evangelical is is a kind of church or a kind of Christian. So uh, you can be a Presbyterian and evangelical. You can be a Baptist and evangelical. You can be non-denominational and evangelical. Evangelical basically says... I believe in the, in the inerrancy and infallibility of the Word of God. I believe the Bible is the authority for life. I believe Jesus is the only way to God. There are certain fundamentals of the faith that I believe. That's what makes me an evangelical. And evangelicals do evangelism. Evangelicals have the privilege of talking to other people about the faith and bringing them into a relationship with God. I love the story of my mom and dad coming to faith. My mom and dad were, um, they had a a pretty miserable marriage almost from the first minute they were united. And they they had a lot of frustration in life. And both of them went on a spiritual search, and neither of them told the other they were on that search. They had a longing in their heart for something. That hole was there, and they needed to be filled, and they couldn't understand, what do I need to do? And so my dad did what my dad does. My dad's a smart guy, loves to read. I would dare say uh, he's probably read more history books than anybody in this room. He reads, the guy should have an honorary PhD for all the reading of history he's done and the way that he's assimilated it. He's a smart guy. And so when he started to have faith questions, he looked to books. He, he looked to the place that he goes to for answers, and he went to a book by Billy Graham about, about how to be born again. And he read that book, and at the end of those Billy Graham books, there, there would be a prayer, and you'd pray that prayer, and it brought you into a relationship with God. And, and there's, there's a day that he's on his break at DuPont in Niagara Falls, sitting on a garbage can, and God moves him, and he prays, and he comes into a relationship with God. It's incredible. My mom is not intellectual. My mom wants nothing to do with that kind of reading. She wants none of that. My, that's, that's not the way my mom is wired. My mom... My mom was all about relationship. It was all about relationship. She's two years old. She had a seven-year-old sister, a five-year-old brother, and she's a twin to a two-year-old. And their, their dad, dad had a, a liver disease called, I practiced this like 
eight times this week and didn't do this. Anyway, um, he had a liver disease called Addison's disease. I don't know if you're familiar with it. John Kennedy had it. It's what, it, it's what caused him to look like he had golden tan all the time. And he had a liver, liver disease, but he also had a tremendous love for alcohol. And one night he got himself so drunk that he passed out in a snowbank, and two weeks later he died of pneumonia. And my mom really never knew her dad, never knew him. And my grandma, I, I would like to say she tried her hardest, but to be honest, she, she worked, and she had a pretty good social life, and she left the seven-year-old to, lead, to raise the kids. During the summer, they'd be sent off to Niagara County Health Camp for the summer, go away. And it created a longing in my mom for relationships. We used to drive, and, and she'd listen to oldies stations, which I guess now would be my music. But anyway, we'd listen to 50s music, and there was this song that would come on. I still remember it vividly. I don't know who did it, but it was called, Oh My Papa. Oh My Papa, to me you are so wonderful. And my mom would sing along to this song, and I, I'm a little kid, and I could see that she's getting emotional. She's getting emotional. She just wanted a dad. How different her life would have been if she just had a dad. And her sister, her sister came into faith in Jesus. And uh, she introduced my mom to the pastor of that church. And he had a couple conversations with her. And she realized that while her physical dad could never come back to life, she could have a relationship with the Father. And she came into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ find it interesting that God uses different ways of bringing us to himself, different lures. For some of you, it might have been an intellectual lure. You had questions you needed answers. For some of you, it might have been a longing for relationship. For some of you, it might have involved some form of addiction. And, and you know, you finally bottomed out and this sponsor said, you need, you need a higher power and you started to identify the higher power as the God of the universe who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Maybe the lure God used for you was a, was a personal brokenness. There was a divorce, there was a death, there was a loss of a job, there was something tragic that happened and you were just broken and you needed healing and, and God brought you to a place of healing. There was a lure God used to bring you to himself. One of the lures God used for me was just someone I admired. Someone I admired who, who I was like, I want to be like her. I want to be like her. And that drew me to himself. One of my favorite days in the state of Illinois is the first Saturday of April, just past yesterday. The Illinois DNR releases rainbow trout into a bunch of lakes around the state. It's the best. You get to get a trout stamp on your license, and you get to go to the lake, and you can catch five rainbow trout and bring them home and eat them up. It's awesome. It's so fun. And I learned how to fish for rainbow trout by one of the best trout fishermen that, that I've ever known, Dave Fry, my father-in-law. He's a native of Montana. The man prior to, prior to moving Illinois did not know what it was like to put a worm on a hook. He was into fly fishing. And he knew how to catch a trout. And so early on in, in our marriage, I went with her, Kim's dad and, and, and her little brother, and we went over to Miller Park in Bloomington, and I started to learn how to catch these trout. You see, I grew up fishing on the Niagara River, where you used 20-pound test line because you never knew what you were going to snag, including potentially a human body. You just didn't know, right? 
You'd have a heavy old sinker on the bottom because you had to keep it in place and a hook that could catch a shark. So if I'm going to show up to do some trout fishing and I use that particular rig along with my big old juicy night crawler, I'm not going to catch a trout. Dave Fry taught me, take the heavy, line, heavy sinker off there. Use a couple of these split shots. He told me, here's the hook you need. And he put it in my hand, and I couldn't even see it. It was so small, so tiny. He said that 20-pound that test line, we're going to cut that down by 19. This needs to be so fine that a trout can't see it. And, and the bait, throw away the worm, we're going power bait, rainbow power bait. And I'm telling you what, when I go fishing for trout down here off the Kankakee, it's so fun to watch. I'm casting in, pulling in, and they're all looking at me going, what are you using? And I laugh because they got their 20-pound test line and their big old hook and their worm. And I'm like, good luck. I'm taking them all. But as a gracious person, I don't share. I walk away, right? No. <laughs> More than once, I've walked up to a little kid and I've said, here's the hook you need. Here's the bait you need. Now you're going to catch a fish. Now you're going to catch a fish. I love that Jesus, when he's talking about reaching people, talks about fish. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon, also known as Peter. He sees Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. It seems like a really awkward way to say that. I will make you become fishers of men. Some other translations say, I will show you how to fish for people. I love the awkwardness here because it wasn't just that Jesus was going to say, I'm going to do it, you watch me, now you do it. He was going to make them fishers of men. He was going to empower them to be able to bring other people into a relationship with God. And what I love is they don't even debate. They throw down their nets and immediately they start to follow Jesus. We have all these different lures, all these different lures that we can throw out there in order to bring someone into a relationship with God. The question is, what's the hole all about? What's the hole in that person's life? Is it a relational hole, an intellectual hole, an addiction hole? What's the hole in their life that you look and you say, what will draw you perhaps into a relationship with God? And so what do we do? We show and we tell. We show and we tell. We live out Jesus in front of people all the time. For the most part, most of the, most of the evangelism we're going to do is going to be relational evangelism. It's not going to be a hit and miss, talk to somebody at the airport, never see them again. Most of it is going to be people, family, friends, with whom you do life all the time. And all the time we're showing them. We're showing them what Jesus looks like. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, you... You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine. Let it shine before others that they may see your good deeds. He defines the light, the good deeds you do. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are constantly showing. We are constantly letting the light shine. We are constantly letting see, people see Jesus lived out through us. Now, what does that look like? Well, in part, it's the good things we do. 
It's the, it's, the, it's the little nice things. Like the other day, I'm walking by and my neighbor's on vacation. I picked up their newspapers and put it up on their porch. Little things, little things that we do that are acts of kindness along the way that people can see the good things that we do, the way we treat them, we treat them well. But, but let me take this a little bit different angle because it's not only the good things we do, it's the way we handle some of the harder things in life too, like this one. Light number one, how do you handle the unknown? When you're with other people and you don't know, how do you handle the unknown? I'm kind of curious to know how Brian handled the unknown of his plane last night. How do you handle those moments? Those moments of tension, those moments that are out of your control, two years of COVID, how do you handle that? When people watch the way you handle the unknown, what does they teach them about Jesus? What do they learn? They're learning something about Jesus by the way we handle the unknown. How about this one? What's your role when the crabbing starts? If you work at work with people, somebody crabs. There's a crab at every job. Some jobs have more crabs than others. I've heard, I've heard in, educational institutions can be well-stocked with crabs. Jewel can do a pretty good job of that too. There are crabs everywhere, Right? People who just love to gripe about everything. What do you do when the crabbing starts? Do you get kind of ramped up and crab as well? <laughs> Feed the flames? Get the crabbing going a little better? Or maybe you're just the type that when the crabbing starts, you go quiet. You neither, you neither speak nor, nor add. You just, you just watch. Maybe you're one of those people that actually challenges the crabbing a little bit. You, you throw something out there. You challenge it a little bit. What do you do when the crabbing starts? What you do when the crabbing starts is an, is an example of Jesus in you. Would Jesus crab the way you crab? What would he do? Let me give you a third. Have, you ever, have they ever heard you admit you're wrong? Has your family ever heard you admit once that you're wrong? Have your coworkers ever, not, not, not as a manipulation, you're wrong, folks. Has anybody at work ever heard you admit you're wrong? Has a neighbor ever heard you admit you're wrong? Ever. The other day I had to go pick up Shelly at the airport, and I wanted to make sure I got there on time. I've got kind of a, an O'Hare plan these days. I've got it all figured out. I left just a hair late. I'm like, oh, the O'Hare plan. Is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Don't worry. The flight will be late. They always are. So, so I'm, I'm pulling out of my, my subdivision. I come around on Old Kerry. And a few years back, they put a stop sign at this spot on Old Kerry. And I am religiously faithful about stopping at that stupid stop sign. And so I, I come up on it, and I go through it. And as I go through it, I go, man, I didn't stop that very well. I kind of rolled that puppy. And I kept going around the corner, and all of a sudden, there are the lights. The lights of joy. Shanahan police are on my tail. They're coming after me. I pull over. They pull over. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I stop there all the time. Really? I reached into my glove compartment. I got my license out of my wallet. I got the registration. I got the insurance. I packaged it all together. Cop comes walking up. How you doing, officer? Hands on the wheel ever so politely. I'm doing great. How about you? I said, what's going on? He said, well, you kind of rolled that stop sign. I said, yeah, I did. I know I did. And then he looks at my license. He says, Dennis Papp, I know that name. Oh, <laughs> God. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm the pastor at Southfield Church, and I used to be the police chaplain. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know you. I said, I know you know me, and I rolled that stop sign, and I deserve a ticket. Go give me one. And he looked at me and go, I'm not giving a ticket to a man of the cloth. I'm like, well, I'm not going to argue with you. And he kept me for a few minutes so that people could drive by and go, look at him. You know, the drive of shame, and then I got to drive away. Here's what I promise you. We have several police officers in, in the room. Um, how often does somebody say, yeah, I did it, give me the ticket? Nobody admits they're wrong. Nobody. They blame the government. They blame Russia. They blame whatever they got to blame, right? But they're, they're not going to say, I was wrong. Has anybody ever heard you say you're wrong? That's your light. Your light shining, shining. We show. We show Jesus all the time. We show and we show and we show. But then there's the tell. Because if we don't tell, I, I, the show is not enough. Showing leaves them to interpret what's going on. So let's say when it comes to the crabbing, you're just quiet. Well, they look at you and just go, hey, just a wimp, doesn't talk. Or you challenge, yeah, he just, she, she just wants, she just, brown noser, she just wants a better job. You've got to share the why behind the what. Peter said, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. He says, you got to think about this ahead of time because most of us, if we're in the moment and the person says, why do you do that? We go, because <laughs> my wife makes me. I don't know. We, don't, we got to think about it. Why do we do that? What, what's it about? We got to think through the reason for the hope that we have. And I love it because Peter doesn't end it there. He says, and do this with gentleness and respect. Not in a judgmental, critical, I'm better than you kind of way. Not in a man, you need Jesus. You're a mess. Gentleness and respect, sharing the reason for the hope that you have. And one of the best ways we can share the reason for the hope we have is our testimony. Our testimony. The, the story of how we came into a relationship with God. Letting a person know simply, easily, quickly, how did I come into a relationship with God? Almost anybody that teaches the designing of a testimony, including the, included the work, rooted workbook, is going to have you look at life B.C. and A.D. What was your life like before Christ and what's your life like after Christ? What was your life like in the past and what is it now? And B.C. is an opportunity to list every sin you ever committed. You know, it's, it's not, by, by the time you're done, they shouldn't be wide-eyed wondering if you're going to kill them too, you know? <laughs> it's just an opportunity to say, I was wrong, I had sin in my life, and that sin separated me from God. Separation is gone now, and here's what life looks like today. My church growing up did a program called Evangelism Explosion, teaching people how they could share their faith with other people. And one of the things they'd encourage people to do is, is to think through the theme of their testimony. What's the theme? What does that look like? Let me, let me give you some examples. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was in despair, and now I have hope. I was empty, and now I'm satisfied. I was lonely, but now I have friendship with God. 
I was, I was bound by addiction, but now I have freedom. I was depressed, but now there's serenity. I was anxious, but now there's peace. I was angry, but now there's calm. I'm a control freak, but now I've surrendered my life to God. And you're able to look at your BC and AD and work those themes. And here's what's cool. You can actually have more than one theme. You can have more than one lure in your box because these impact us all in different ways. You say, I wasn't addicted. I've got news for you. You're addicted to something. We all are. All I have to do is say Oreo, and some of you are salivating like a dog. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're addicted to some, something. Something controls our lives, and we need the freedom that comes through a relationship with Jesus. So we work these different themes and in the process, we tell the story of our coming to Christ. Now, now here's the thing. B.C. and A.D., that's just your story. And I love, you know, my story, that's beautiful. But honestly, I think sometimes even the words my story play into the narcissism of our times. Because it's not about my story. It's about his story. And if I only tell my story, nobody's going to heaven. They've got to hear his story. They've got to hear the story of God, the story of Jesus. And that's where, that's where that little acronym comes in that we love so much, ABC, admit, believe, choose. And you don't have to, you don't have to say A and then B and then C. This is, this is a memory device for you so that you remember. You start with, you admit that you've done wrong things and wrong things have separated me from God. I've been doing the one-year Bible reading recently and um, I come across this part again in those first five books of the Bible where Moses is leading the people and they're thirsty again. And God says, there's a rock. Talk to the rock. Water will come out of the rock. And Moses, he gets the others of the people. He doesn't, he doesn't look at the rock or speak to the rock. He looks at the people. You stinking rebels. Do we have to do this for you every time? I was wondering who the we is. I don't think he was saying... Moses and Aaron. I think he was saying, Moses and the big guy, do we need to do this for you all the time? And he takes his staff and boom, once, boom, twice, hits the rock, and amazingly, water comes flowing out. I would have no water. He didn't do it right, right? Water comes flowing. God uses in his disobedience, the water still flows, but then the conversation comes, the conversation where, Moses, where God says to Moses, what you did there, you didn't follow my instruction the way I said, you're not going into the promised land. And there isn't a believer I know that when they hear that story doesn't go, are you kidding me, really? Really? Two smacks of a rock and I can't go into the promised land? Really? Come on! That's not a biggie sin. Boom, boom. I think that story is in there for a reason. You see, because when it comes to a relationship with God, here's the way most of us work. When we think about our sins, we got to understand this. Nobody in this room is as bad as you could be. Want proof? How many of you killed five people on the way into church today? Or plotting the murder of five on the way out? Nobody's as bad as they could be. Nobody in this room, not one person, is as good as they could be. Not one. Every one of us have done something wrong. And you know what's funny? We look at the some things we do wrong and we say, but they're not biggie sins. How does it compare to hitting a rock twice? I wonder if that story isn't in the Bible for God to say, I'm serious. Sin matters. Even the little ones. Sin matters. We need to admit that we've sinned. 
We've done wrong things. We need to believe. Believe that Jesus died to pay for the sin. I couldn't pay for it on my own. The only way I can pay for it on my own is eternity and hell separated from God. And the only way I can be with God is for Jesus to die, shed his blood so that I can have eternal life through Jesus. And then I commit my life to God. I commit my life to God. And that isn't a commitment to perfection. I'm still going to mess up. I'm still going to sin. It's going to happen. I get that. But it's a recognition now that my life belongs to someone else. My life is not my own anymore. I belong to God. Folks, if we're telling that B.C. A.D. story, in the middle has got to be A.B.C. If we don't get to the admit I've sinned, believe Jesus died to pay for my sin, commit my life to Christ, all we've done is told our story. And it's beautiful, but our story doesn't bring people into relationship with God. Jesus is the one who brings people into relationship with God. So what do we do? We show and we tell. And there's one other thing we do that we did not do in kindergarten. We pray. We pray a lot. We use the spiritual weaponry because here's the thing. I don't care how masterful your testimony is, how beautifully you've crafted it. Our efforts don't get it done. It's God empowering us. I will make you become fishers of men, fishers of people. I will make you. I will empower you. The spiritual weapon we need is prayer, praying consistently. And so I encourage you, identify three people, three people that you're praying for all the time. Every time they come to mind, you're praying for them to come into a relationship with God. You're praying for them consistently. They're your little hit list, and you're praying for them. And I'll tell you what, we've talked about this in the past. I know some of you in this room right now, you've had the same name on your list for 20 years, and you're waiting. Don't stop praying. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. It is the power that brings people to God. Jesus, in John 4, has spent some time with the woman at the well. Disciples go off and get food. They come back. Jesus says, I don't need to eat. I've already eaten. They're like, what are you talking about? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he says, you say there will be four months and then harvest. I'm telling you, look up. Lift your eyes, look to the fields, they're already white to harvest. A lot of people are convinced that, that they encouraged him to look up because at that point, the Samaritan crowd dressed in their white robes was coming toward Jesus. Lift up your eyes, look to the field, they're white to harvest. Matthew 9, Jesus it says, he went through the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, what happened? He had compassion on them. He, was, he didn't look at them and go, what is your problem? Can't you get it right? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, this harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. You should have prayed for the three names. But then there's a further prayer that we need to pray. Beyond the names, there's someone God wants to bring in your path just to have the conversation. There are people beyond the three names. God has you in their life to reach them. And so along with praying for the three, three names, we're praying, God, open my eyes. Lift my eyes to see the people around me who need you. Soften my heart. Give me compassion and 
send me. Uh, Maybe another way to pray it is this. What is today's divine appointment? What's the appointment you have for me today, God? Who's the person that needs a conversation today? And so we pray. We show, we tell, we pray. Father God in heaven, help us to see lost people for what they are. They are lost. They are sheep without a shepherd. They have a big hole in their heart. They need a Savior. Give us the energy that we had when we were five or six years old heading off to kindergarten to bring that item from home that we're so proud of, to stand in front of that class and talk about it and show everybody. God, give us that same energy, that same enthusiasm for you that we would be constantly showing people, just showing them what Jesus looks like. Oh, and then, God, I pray that we would not stop at showing. Help us to tell. We'll do it in a clumsy way. We won't always get it right. But you will use our hearts, our sincerity, and our prayers to bring people safely home to God. How we love you, Jesus. Amen. So as we walk off to communion, you'll go to tables at the front or the back. Gluten-free is on either side of the platform as well as a black table here at the back. As we go off to communion, would you, would you at least start thinking about your three people? Maybe you already know them. Maybe they're listed on a, on a post-it on the wall today. Think about the three people that you're going to pray for. Pray for consistently. Every time God brings them to mind, you will pray that God will bring them into a relationship with himself. And you know what? It doesn't have to be that you're going to be the one to do it. You could pray, God, I just pray that there be lots of people casting lots of lures all the time. And that ultimately, at some point, they'd come home to you. Think about the three people. When we've, when we've gone to communion, we have that person fixed, and those people fixed in our minds. Then we'll sit down. The music is going to continue to play. And we're going to pray a bit for the people that we'd like to see come safely home to God. Let's go to communion. God so loved the world. God of heaven, you loved the world. You look at this world right now, you see 8 billion people, and you love this world. You love these people, even the people that we look and we go, really? You love them all. A lot of us look at ourselves and say, really? You love us too. The God of heaven loves us enough that he didn't leave us in our brokenness. He didn't leave us to wonder what the whole is all about. He sent his son as a baby to live here for 30 years plus. To live a hard and cruel life to die a ruthless death. A death that we would not wish on our worst enemy. You died, Jesus, 
so that I could know you, so that my mom could know you, so that my dad could know you, so that my wife and kids could know you, so that my friends could know you, so that our lives could go from lives of emptiness to fullness and despair to hope and addiction to freedom. And God, today we have these people in our minds, these one, two, or three people that we want to see come home to you. And what's amazing is you want them to come home even more than we do. And I don't understand why you do it this way, why you don't just super zap them, why you don't just show up in the room and go, I'm here, boom. You don't do that. You use human beings to reach human beings. You let us show who you are, and then you let us tell and pray and pray and pray and pray. And God, for some of us, I'm sure we are ready to give up on the praying because we keep bringing that name to you and we don't see a budge. You know the human heart. Thank you for loving us. so many different motivations for sharing this faith that we have. I wonder if the motivation we could tap into a little bit more is love. He loves me that much. Shouldn't I love you as well? A lot of times when we get done with a day like this, it, it can be about, you know, guilt. I have to. I gotta. I should. What about love? He loves me that much. I love you too. And you know what? It may be that God gives you the privilege here really soon as you're praying for your three people, as you're praying for open eyes, that, that God will give you the chance to share your testimony. But there are other things you can do too. Like two weeks from now, Easter's happening. You might invite somebody to come. Or you might actually listen for something really unusual. The person might say, I've been thinking about going to church and you know, there's a church down the street from me that I've been thinking about going to. I'm saying this out loud, Okay. Why don't you say to them, if you go, I'll go. I'll go with you. Go with them. Be with them. We have camp coming up, quest coming up. We don't want this just to be full of Southfield kids. It's not just Southfield kids offered during the week. This is a chance to invite. Let's make it a, let's make it a monster inviting year. A year that, that we encourage our kids to ask someone else to come. We, we did that ourselves, folks. <laughs> Brian, Kim used to always encourage Brian, that Brandon Davis kid, ask him to come. Ask him to come. 
That Brandon Davis kid has his baby at church now and his other baby at church now and his wife at church now. Ask him to come. Think through the invites you might make so that people can hear about the whole and how it can be filled by Jesus. I'm so glad you were here today. Enjoy your week.